Hello, my name is Zachary James. I'm 10 years old and I live in Los Angeles, California. The climate is changing. We are nearing a tipping point, a place from which we cannot turn back, and we are racing towards it at record speeds. We, the children, are being punished for what our ancestors have done to the world and to us. Generations of policymakers and big corporations have made billions at our, the planet's, expense and have escaped consequence. Until now. As our futures are resting upon our shoulders, the shoulders of kids like me, some adults don't even believe in climate change. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Some days it feels like no one cares. That's why I will put aside my own time and I could be playing with my friends to record this podcast. We need to face the facts. Here, on We, the Children, we will be tackling our topics, learning about different climate phenomena, and speaking with experts and leaders in the field of global warming solutions. I may not have all the answers, or be able to solve the world's problems, but at least I know I have to try. And I'm glad you're here to help. Here's what you can expect on We, the Children. First, I'll introduce the episode. Next, my friend Waldo will pop in for a little weather lesson, if you will. Then, we'll invite a climate expert for an interview. We'll also play a rousing game of climate trivia and learn about a local organization or business that is working towards climate solutions. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to Wacky Weather, where we'll be talking about wacky weather. I'm your friendly weatherman, Waldo, here to bring you the latest funny, but not so fun, weather stories from around the globe. Climate change is a gift that keeps on giving, and crazy weather phenomena happen daily. Ah! (coughs) Oh, excuse me. I'm just, I'm just... Really suffering with seasonal allergies right now. Everything seems to make me. Sorry. Everything seems to make me sneeze, sniffle. Post nasal drip is just awful. Scientists say that the allergies are getting worse and worse as the climate warms. Why might this be? Allergies are caused by tiny grains produced by seed plants called pollen. As a human body comes in contact with pollen particles floating around in the air, the immune system reacts and becomes irritated and inflamed. A recent study showed that pollen production will face increases up to 200% if our CO2 emissions continue at their current alarming rate. According to the study, allergy season will begin sooner and end later, bringing more runny noses and snotty tissues to a home near you. Now, not all pollen seasons are created equal, and some regions will be affected more than others. The Northeast stands to see the largest increase in pollen production because of its unique species of grasses and trees. Tim Ream is an environmental attorney based in Eugene, Oregon. Tim originally focused on pre-med studies when he attended university, but quickly shifted his focus to environmental activism after graduation. He has participated in environmental protests, road blockades to save old growth forests, 
and then went back to school to earn his law degree and become an environmental attorney. He has focused on many policy areas over his career, and today we'd like to focus on his work to keep it in the ground, the it being fossil fuels, of course. Welcome to our podcast, Tim. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. You have a very interesting background. I'm curious how you went from pre-med at University of Illinois to an activist in Oregon. Yeah. Well, in between those two, I think the biggest influence was I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Africa. I taught high school science in Africa for a couple of years. And then I basically I hitchhiked across a big chunk of Africa through about 15 different countries. And I think that was right at the time that people were starting to understand how we might cut down all of the Amazon rainforest. Climate change was first becoming a really big deal. So when I came back, I started working for the Environmental Protection Agency with the U.S. federal government. And um, then it was it was environment from then on. But of course, even in Africa, I was super interested in, in environmental issues too, tree planting and things like that. One of your focus areas is to keep fossil fuels in the ground. What's the latest estimate on carbon impact from the pollution of oil, gas, and coal extraction and the effects on climate change? Well, I think um, the best estimates right now are that about 10% of the gas comes from public lands and federal waters, mostly uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. About 20% of oil comes from public lands. Um, That's mostly in the U.S. West and then the Gulf of Mexico. And um, during the Trump administration, it was also up in the Arctic, but Joe Biden stopped that. And then about 40% of coal comes from public lands, and that's mostly in um, Montana and Wyoming. So um, I don't know how much that adds up to around total fossil fuel emissions, but I think somewhere around a quarter of all of the carbon dioxide that gets released in the United States comes from fossil fuels that were dug up on public land. What's so bad about these fossil fuels anyway? They're just dinosaur bones and bits of plants compacted into flammable material, right? Well, when burned for fossil fuel, these materials, coal, petroleum, and natural gas, generate toxic emissions that harm our health and the planet. I understand that many who support fossil fuels argue that halting these practices would have devastating financial impacts on some state and local governments. What are your thoughts, or do you see a solution that, like, a just transition? Well, yeah, just transition is the, you know, the the magic words for what we want to see happen. Let's take the noun there, transition. Um, The transition means we know we have to get away from fossil fuels. It's going to happen one way or another. We're already at just about one degree Celsius seeing huge impacts from climate change. And it's really just the beginning. So we know at some point with the fires and the floods and the and the storms and the crop losses and the droughts and everything else that's going to happen, the rising seas, we know that eventually people are going to transition away from fossil fuels. But we just want to make it happen faster before there's more damage. But the idea of a just transition means that the transition happens in a way that it doesn't disproportionately hurt uh, some communities way more than other communities. Since many communities depend on fossil fuels for their livelihoods, we need to make sure to support people such as coal miners, loggers, and oil drillers as we move to regenerative energy systems. 
We want to help them find new employment in a fair and respectful way. But it's definitely true that if you're in a little town that has been around for the last 70 years because of coal, coal mining, that that town is not going to be able to be focused on coal mining. I'm in Oregon, and we've seen that same thing happen with um, logging. You know, you can only log so much, and then the big old growth trees aren't there, and, and most of what's left in the forest are small trees. And many towns have had their timber mills closed, and they had to go through a big transition. The smart towns started preparing for that well in advance. So they started developing other industries that could take advantage of the unique resources they had in their area, usually the forests and the rivers and the great recreational opportunities. But what we're going to have to do is figure out a way that, um, let's say, people who are working drilling for oil uh, can start doing drilling for geothermal power or areas that um, had a lot of coal mining could have a lot of windmills or solar panels where people who have been working in coal mines can be building those windmills and building those solar panels and then working on maintenance on those, those areas as well. So just transition means trying to have justice around the impacts that fossil fuels are already having on communities. For instance, small Gulf communities that are having their shrimping ruined because of offshore oil drilling, for instance. Um, a lot of native communities that have had their land decimated for fossil fuels. Um, and then also justice for the people who currently are making a profit for those fossil fuels, figuring out a way that they can have an important role in a renewable energy economy. What does geothermal mean? Geothermal is a type of energy that comes from the heat at the core of the Earth. It is usually pretty close to the surface. Where it's closest to the surface, in places like Yellowstone, there can be mud pots and geysers, showing that heat is coming right up to the surface of the Earth. A volcano is another example of where the hot Earth has come up and broken through the crust of the Earth. Do you feel solar and wind are visible solutions for electricity problems? Oh, they're better than feasible. In just the last couple of years, uh, wind and solar are usually the cheapest source of electricity. So usually what happens when a utility um, like the power company wants more electricity, they go out and they say, hey, everybody, give me some bids, make me some offers for how much it's going to cost to make electricity. And we'll pick whoever's the cheapest. And for a long time, coal was the cheapest. And then gas became the cheapest. But in the last few years, whenever those bids come in, usually the, the bids for wind power and the bids for solar power are cheaper than all the other bids. Renewable energy sources are the way of the future, but they need to be the way of the present. Wind turbines use giant blades to use the wind's kinetic energy. These ways are connected to a generator that then produces mechanical energy, such as electricity. So it's the cheapest way to make electricity in most places. And in a lot of places, it's even cheaper to build new solar panels or build new windmills than it is to even run existing coal plants. That plus efficiency, make sure we use as little electricity as possible. So that means appliances that run really efficient. And that means like washers and refrigerators and, and dryers and things and furnaces. 
And then also making sure there's good insulation in houses and houses are built in a way that they don't just leak a lot of heat out into the world. That's what I mean by energy efficiency. Solar energy is another incredible renewable resource that deserves to stay in the sun. Wink, wink. Solar panels are used to convert the sun's heat into electricity through a process called photovoltaics. Like Tim mentioned, solar energy is cheap, renewable, and a low-carbon energy option. What concerns you the most about climate change? I think for me, honestly, the worst part is all of the extinction of species. The impacts from climate change are going to be terrible on people. But the thing about extinction is when a species goes extinct, it's just gone forever. So we can never bring it back. And so when we lose these things, we lose them forever. And that's really sad because it means future generations never get to enjoy certain birds or certain flowers or certain butterflies, or maybe, you know, elephants or rhinos or tigers might not be around by the time you know, 10-year-olds are my age or by the time their grandkids are my age. And so I think it's terrible that we are leaving a world that has just so much less life on it, so much less richness of life. That's, I think, the part about extinction that has me, or about climate change that has me the worst, most worried. And the opposite of that, what gives you the most hope? You. <laughs> 10-year-olds and kids that are super involved and trying to make a difference and young people all over the world that are figuring out how to learn about the problem and how to get together in networks and in clubs and in groups and in organizations and how to inform their parents and their adults and their teachers and how to put pressure on politicians and and do their art projects and like, you know, podcasts or, or anything, music or anything that's related to trying to make the earth a better place. And then people that are making their own choices in their own lives to change the way they live their lives so that their lives are a way that's loving the earth instead of just using it like a thing. I think that's what gives me the most hope is, is that it seems compared to when I was a kid, you know, 10-year-olds and teenagers and kids in college, they know a lot more about the problems of the earth and they care a lot more. And hopefully they're going to be able to make a big difference in the next generation. Here's your last question. In the past couple of years, you have spent time on renewing your practice of Zen practice and Buddhism. How do you think practice of Buddhism can translate to helping our environment? Wowee, that's a great question. <laughs> um, well, if you want to take care of the earth, you have to pay attention to what's happening. And a big part of Buddhism is teaching people how to be mindful and how to pay attention. That's what goes on in meditation. So when you sit quietly and you just try to be aware and be mindful of what's happening, that kind of practice helps you in your life to pay more attention to what's happening. So maybe the next time you go in the store and you're getting ready to buy something that's just filled with lots of packaging, you might say, hey, wait a minute. I remember the last time I bought this product and it just had so much packaging. I just don't want to do that again. I'm going to go to the bulk section or just get some something from the produce section that's better. 
Um, the other thing that Buddhism, another thing that Buddhism does is it, it teaches us that we should respect all beings. It's not just about human beings, right? So that I think leads people to be more careful about their diet and try to eat in a way that's more respectful of the planet, which is always something that people can do that makes a big difference is um, to eat a diet that has less meat and less dairy products, because that's a, a big difference in, in um, the impacts to climate change for any one individual. And then I think the other thing about Buddhism is it teaches us to be present with other people and really to be able to make a change to the energy system of the whole planet and to get all the governments of the world to want to make those changes. We really need to figure out how we can be good with each other as people together in relationships and in groups and in having important, deep conversations that are really hard. And so hopefully when people are practicing mindfulness, they can get better at those kind of difficult conversations and those ways of being with each other in a good way. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm glad you had me. Let's play Climate Trivia. Today, Tim Ream is staying on for a round of trivia. All right, Tim and Zach, what percentage of U.S. greenhouse gas pollution is estimated to be from oil, gas, and coal extracted from federal land? I'm going to give you three choices. A, less than 1%. The EPA prevents most extraction from federal land. B, 5 to 10%. Or C, 20 to 25%. Zach, do you want to go first? Yes. Okay. I think it's 25, 20 to 25%. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think so too. And the EPA doesn't have any role on managing our public lands for the most part. I wish they did. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. It looks like a tie. <laughs> you both got that one right. The answer is, unfortunately, 20 to 25% of U.S. greenhouse gases come from that federal land. All right. I'd say unfortunately, but it's also an opportunity because it means there's a big chunk of of fossil fuel extraction that Mm -hmm. we, the people, should have a big influence on shutting down. Excellent point. Well (laughs) said, Tim. All right. Which fossil fuel causes the most air pollution around the world? Is it oil, natural gas, or coal? Well... I don't think it's natural gas because that's probably going to be the most eco-friendly if it's like vegetable oil and stuff. I don't know. Um, Coal, between coal and oil, oil is probably more easy to get aerosolized. So I'm going to say oil. Yeah, I I don't know for this one. I think think Zach's right. It's between oil and coal, but I think probably more emissions from oil than coal, but I don't know for sure. Tell us, Claire. The answer is coal. And when coal is burned, mercury, lead, and other heavy metals are released into the air we breathe. So, like you mentioned earlier in our interview, Tim, the sooner we can move away from coal coal dependency, the better. I, I got tricked. I thought you were just asking about climate emissions. But you probably said air pollution, didn't you? I think I did. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find out on the edit. We'll find out, yeah. (laughs) All right. We're going to go to question number three. 
Which U.S. president installed solar panels on the roof of the White House? Was it A, Jimmy Carter, B, Barack Obama, or C, Ronald Reagan? Um, I think Jimmy Carter, because I haven't heard of that. And wow, he got it, like, when decades before he was born, he got it. I know it's Jimmy Carter, because I was alive then. <laughs> All right, we've got another tie. As a symbol of his faith in the power of the sun, Jimmy Carter installed 32 solar panels onto the White House West Wing in 1979. And do you know what happened when Ronald Reagan was elected? Tell he us. took them down. Wow. Yep. So yep. currently, are there panels? I don't think so, no. Oh, my God. Okay, let's go, Biden. All right. Our last <laughs> trivia question is, what is the current estimate of the percentage of electricity produced by solar energy in the U.S.? Is it A, 3%, B, 24%, or C, 34%? I'm going to say B. I, I wish it was B, but sadly, I think it's A. It's amazing how we were dealing with solar panels in 1976, and we still only are producing 3% of our energy from it. Well, semi-unfortunately, Tim, you are correct. It is 3%, so not as much as we'd like to see, and we have to work together to get that number up. And that concludes our trivia session for today. Zach and Tim, I think, Tim, you're walking away the winner from this trivia session. Zach, you put up a good fight. Excellent well, work to both of you. Great, Claire. You make me look bad for beating on but a 10-year-old. <laughs> and that's a wrap on trivia. Tune in next time for more head-scratching fun. If you'd like to learn more about Tim or any of our guests, please find us on social media at We The Children Podcast. Uh-oh, baby Jack. Do I need to change your diaper? Um, excuse me, Claire. Sorry to butt in here. But you know how environmentally unfriendly the disposable diaper industry is? Oh, Zach, I can only imagine. Disposable diapers full of, you know, do not decompose in landfills. Single-use diapers are made from petroleum-based plastic, and plastic is not biodegradable. All these dirty diapers just pile and pile and pile into massive landfills. And from there, they introduce feces and plastics into groundwater. Yuck. And imagine how many diapers a baby goes through in its first three years of life. As a mom, I can tell you, it's a lot. <laughs> um, according to babylist.com, the average child uses 5,000 to 7,000 diapers in its lifetime. Multiply that by the 140 million babies born each year. And let's just say you've got yourself a lot of diapers. Okay, Zach, I hear you, but what's a busy mom on a budget to do? Well, Claire, you have a few options. You can invest in cloth diapers and wash the 
<coughs> contents out yourself in the washing machine. If you're not up to that, there are many diapering services that will do the <coughs> dirty work for you. Take Lulu Do, for example, a company based out of Los Angeles that picks up dirty diapers, launders them using non-toxic and sustainable cleaning products, then delivers them fresh, clean, and ready for use at your door. I really appreciate how companies are looking to create sustainable solutions for modern problems. Thanks for the tip, Zach. You better go, Claire. Duty calls. Thank you for tuning in to We the Children. Feel free to find us on social media at We the Children Podcast. And don't hesitate to reach out. Remember, if we act together, we, the children, can inspire hope and create change for our climate. Tune in next time for more climate content. I know the planet is warming, but try to stay cool. Because if you're too warm, the ice caps will melt, and that's... Anyway, this is Zachary James, signing off. If you want to learn more about me or my podcast, visit www.wethechildrenpodcast.com. Find us on social media and feel free to drop a line.